welcome. You are listening to Zeal Pure House. I am your host, David Murray, and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. Her focus here is on our relationship with our Heavenly Dad and all aspects of His kingdom, moving in greater intimacy with Him. Additional teachings, books, and articles may be found on my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's dwmurry.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and let's get rolling with this week's broadcast. Good evening, Dorothy. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, David? Good, good. I got a kick out of uh, the new intro music. Um, the point of that is to try to streamline a little bit uh, the broadcast. And, and you know, sometimes uh, I feel like you know the broadcast. Uh, we, we just have minutes. Sometimes it can it can so much information sometimes to share. So. Um, kind of condense that and kind of give people that are, that are first-time listeners a little bit of a more of an understanding of background of what we're doing here on, on Blog Talk and on Zeal for Your House. So anyway, you're okay, Dorothy? I am doing well, even if it is raining. <laughs> the rain's holding off here, and you're a little bit further east of me, so uh, we don't have any rain here. Hopefully that's going to hold out a little bit, although we should really, we could use it. The leaves are not really... Uh, He's just coming down without turning color. It hasn't much of a fall. Well, tonight we're going to be talking about um, laying hold of your birthright. Um, what does that mean? <clears throat> As usual, we'll do an uh, introduction a little bit. What is your birthright, and how do we lay hold of it? So these are some of the things that we're going to be getting into this evening. And um, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. Dorothy, if, um, if someone raises their hand in the, in the uh, chat or, or someone wants to speak or call in and ask a question, rather than waiting until the end, I'm just going to mix things up a little bit this evening uh, just for the sake of this type of, of study. Um, and go ahead and just interrupt me and, and, and let me know, and we'll take that call. And uh, if, if not, then we'll just keep going. Okay. All right. So, um, guys, what does it mean, laying hold of your birthright? Number one, before we get into uh, really what is our birthright, how do we lay hold of it, one of the things that the church is struggling in this generation, um, one of the things that, that has been a challenge and has been difficult for the body of Christ to understand is who we really are. Um, what do I mean by that? One of the things that the church really struggles with, one of the reasons why there's so much confusion and there's so many divided camps um, is because we have trouble discerning the will of God and the heart of God. And the reason why we have trouble discerning his heart is because in any area where we don't come to him asking for his heart to be revealed to us, it means we're coming with our own ideas of who God is and who we are. That's, coming before, that's attempting to approach God from the soul. And the scriptures say we worship him in spirit and in truth. So in any areas where we come to him with our own ideas and our own understanding, is going to cause confusion because when we're getting quiet before the Lord, and if we begin to hear him speaking to us or leading upon us or speaking to us or... or, or 
whether it's through dreams, through vision, through an impression, through his leading, through the written word, through the spoken word. We're going to pass that or filter that through our soul. And what is meant to happen is we're meant to get any, any impression, any thinking, anything of his heart we're feeling is meant to be an invitation to get to explore him in that area he's speaking to us more deeply. And what's happening in this hour especially is we get an impression or a leading from the Lord. But instead of accepting it as an invitation to go deeper and have him talking more with us about that subject, we wind up filtering it through our own soul. And it's our soul where we get fractured through wounds, through past experiences, through hurts in the body of Christ, um, through church splits, through rejection, through rejection of the world, through our upbringing. Any of the fracturing that took place in our life is our, has deals with our mind, will, and our emotions. And to the degree that we're not aware of them, we're not allowing God into those areas to mend and to heal and to restore through the word of God, the washing of the word. The Bible says to be renewed in the washing of the word. If, and whenever we are entering into him or existing and attempting to seek his heart, his mind on something, but we don't yield our soul, our hurts, our wounds, our ideas to that, um, we begin perverting the word of God. And um, the more obstinate we are, the more that we say no and we want to say God is a certain way, we begin to close out the other aspects of the nature he wants to speak to us on. So what does that have to do with birthright? Well, a, a lot. One of the things the church is struggling to understand is her birthright because we don't we, – we are – in order to understand our birthright, guys, we have to understand the Bible as a love story. We need to understand the Bible as a, a work of redemption. It is a diary. It is a. It is the story of the redemption of God's creation. That's what the Bible is. It's a divine romance, and it started for man in the garden, and it ends with him when when we're finally reconciled under a new heaven and a new earth. From Genesis up through Revelation, when we study the Word of God in in chronological order. We see a God who, from the time that Adam and Eve fell and lost their place in the garden, lost their birthright, lost their identity, lost their authority, lost their place as rulers of this world, our Heavenly Father has had a game plan, a blueprint of how to redeem man back to her birthright, redeem mankind back to his birthright as a redeemed child of the Lord. That is the redemptive plan. That's the blueprint of the Bible. What many of us struggle with, and I've been there, I, I, I can relate. So, I'm, so, you know, there's no condemnation in this. It's just understanding what the things we struggle with for us to get past them. We have to first see them. We often try to shoehorn God into the old covenant. Uh, I, I hear Christians regularly quote things either on blogs or on podcasts or, or, or on TV or, or whatever, in person, many conversations, <clears throat> they, they see an experience, they witness an experience, either through television, secondhand, firsthand, they're witnessing something, and they pass that event through what the Word of God says, but they're not hearing the heart of God. They're trying to understand and make sense of things based upon what the Word of God says, but they're not using proper biblical context because we don't understand the redemptive plan. And so we quote things or things come to our mind 
that are dealing with the different times, different seasons, and, and we try to make them cut and paste to fit uh, what we want to believe. Um, anywhere we're looking at the Word of God, we must see it under the shed blood of the cross. Everything up until the resurrection of Jesus Christ was Old Covenant. And prior to the installation of the covenant with Moses on Mount Sinai, pre-covenant, there were different seasons and different covenants that took place in the body of Christ. There was the Adamic covenant, there was the covenant of the patriarchs, there was the Mosaic covenant, and there was the covenant of the new, the, the new believers, the born-again believers, who are the only ones that are promised, every single one, to have the Holy Spirit inside of us when we accept Jesus as our Savior, the redemption of our sins. Okay, that's the new covenant. The new covenant is, let me back up. The Old Testament is Jesus is coming. The New Testament, the gospel, the good news, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the third gospel means the good news. What is the good news? The good news is Jesus came. The epistles are he is returning. And it starts with the gospels where we understand that Jesus came to give us eternal life. The reason why that's important is because if we attempt to look at either the church or the lost through the old covenant, we will grossly misinterpret the heart of God for any time or season. We have to see the heart of God, one, in light of his redemptive plan, and two, in light of the covenant that we're living in, and three, in light of what he intends to do in this time frame, in this time. Jesus came to redeem mankind. One of the scriptures that all of us, I think great all of us know, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. Guys, the world means the lost. It means the dead. It means those that are bound in lust and pornography and sin and murder, lasciviousness, drunkenness, um, every perversion. That is the world because it was the world it was mankind taken captive by Satan because Satan was given the legal ground to have the rights to this world, the authority of this world. Jesus gave those back through the redemption of his blood. So we must understand when we're reading the Bible, the Bible is progressive revelation. I've mentioned that a number of times. I'll always go back to it because it brings clarity. The Bible is progressive revelation. That's why in the Old Testament, when someone, gets, when someone got something wrong, a prophet, a prophet was to be stoned to death because no one under the Old Testament other than a priest anointed by the Lord, a prophet, or a king anointed by the Lord, were given the Holy Spirit. So when a prophet spoke, the Old Covenant Israel had no way of knowing if the word was true or not unless it came to pass because they didn't have the Holy Spirit bearing witness with their spirit. The Holy Spirit did not live inside of them. So they had no way to bear witness with the heart of God in heaven if something was true or not. That's why the Old Covenant, it says if what a prophet does not, says does not come to pass, he's a false prophet. Under the New Testament, we all have the Holy Spirit. The Word says do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. That's why it says let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge it doesn't say let the others wait until it comes to pass to see whether or not he's a true prophet. Because a New Testament prophet is just someone who's moving, sharing the heart of God, which is meant to increase the rest of the body of Christ's awareness of the heart of God so that we all can become more tuned into it, along with the apostolic 
function, the pastoral function, the teaching function, the evangelistic, workers of miracles, giving, serving, exhortation, administration, leadership. Um, th- there's many giftings, but one spirit in the new covenant because we all have been given the Holy Spirit. So again, when we're, if, if we're talking or thinking about something, if we are discussing something, we must first understand what covenant we're living in. And are we grabbing texts out of context because we don't understand the time um, of, of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing? This is the new covenant. So um, it's only when we begin to understand, hey, we're living in a time when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That's why we are the body of Christ. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant Jews were not the body of Christ because they were not joined one of Christ. John 16, I think it is, 16, 13, I am the Father one just as you and I are, are one. Meaning when the Holy Spirit comes, he bears witness with our spirit, he gives us the righteousness of Christ, which, which is what gives us salvation. And now we are one because we are cleansed and we are washed by the ever-eternal sacrifice once and for all. The book of Hebrews discusses that in great length. It's a great place to start. Jesus is the final living sacrifice. There's only one sacrifice because he rose from the dead. He makes eternal, eternal petition on us. When the Father sees us, he sees us through the righteousness of the final sacrifice that everything else was a shadow and a type and shadow of foreshadowing of. So when we begin to understand we're living in the new covenant and we're beginning to understand that, okay, what is, what is the new covenant about? It's about receiving the Holy Spirit, having the redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and then taking the good news and sharing it to the world. And Jesus is coming back one day to fulfill his promise that he will reign on the earth before the new heaven and the new earth. So as we begin to meditate on that, begin to get into the word, what will happen is we will begin to understand our birthright. The birthright that we have with Jesus having fulfilled the work on the cross is different than the birthright that the believers had under the old covenant. It's different because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we are under a better covenant today than they were because we have the Holy Spirit. Anyone who's quoting judgment, anger, and wrath um, toward the lost, toward Christians, toward people that that say they're Christians but maybe they're not true born-again believers, and their words are venom and anger and wrath and judgment, The Bible says, I alone will judge. I'm going to judge. In the New Testament, we are given the commission to love. The fulfillment of the law is love God with all your heart and love your neighbor. And Jesus went on to explain, your neighbor is everyone. So anytime that we are discussing wrath and we want to talk about old covenant things and we want to go under the old covenant, we're forsaking our New Testament birthright and we're rejecting the mind of Christ that was given to us through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going under carnal-minded thinking, quoting things out of context. The principles of the Old Testament stand because the principles of the Old and the New are the same because it's the same God. But the covenant changes. The spirit of the covenant is you cannot earn salvation. That's the spirit of the Old Testament. 
that salvation is a gift and we're to seek God, God's righteousness, knowing that one day the final sacrifice will come and he will make his housing, his abode inside of us, and we become the temple. The spirit of the Old Testament points to Christ. The letter of the Old Testament kills. Because Paul says the, the letter of the law brings death, but the spirit of the law brings life. So anytime we are quoting the Old Testament and we are quoting death over people, that's witchcraft. So we need to understand when we hear people speaking and they're speaking condemnation and wrath and death, they're moving out of John 3.16 that says Jesus came to redeem the world. He redeems them through the church. If the church is condemning the world, then the church is moving out of the mind of God and has rejected her birthright and has rejected the heart of the Father who is looking to redeem the world through the redemption that came by Jesus dying and being tortured on the cross. Now, does, does God look at wickedness and smile? No. Does God look at sin and is pleased with sin? Absolutely not. Am I saying that we should go out and sin? It doesn't matter? No. Guys, there's a, there's a ditch to every truth. There's a ditch and there's an extreme. And usually man, whether we're lost or whether we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, whether we're Christians or not, we tend to enjoy going to extremes to prove a point. And we're just not allowed to do that. The mainstream is the, the, the wide road. I'm not talking about the wide and the narrow road, right? <clears throat> Jesus says, my, my, my burden is easy, my yoke is, is light. Right? The easy path with the Lord is walking with him in his mind and in his heart. We do that by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, desiring walking in union and communion with him day to day, fulfilling out what he desires to do. All around us are people dying and going to hell. All around us there is wickedness and sin. The Bible says to snatch those out of the fire, hating even the clothes that are stained with the smell of the world, the smell of sin, but to snatch his children out of the fire. That's in Jude. So we, Jude? That's for John. It's Jude. We need to make a distinction, guys, between the sin and the person. Because the scriptures say he came to redeem the lost, which every one of us at one point was. I praise God he didn't look at me in my sin the way many of the body of Christ are looking at each other and looking at the lost. And if we're looking in wrath and in anger, the word of God says that you don't have the love of God inside you. Because the scriptures in the New Covenant say we have the ability to walk in the heart of God, which is love. It's a love toward his creation. It's a hatred toward sin, which is why we share the good news to save his creation, to save us from the destruction of sin, which he hates. And we need to start making a choice if we're going to agree with that or not, because it does not please God for us to decide what we're going to believe and decide we are going to choose who we're going to condemn and who we're going to pardon. And one day, every one of us will have to stand before the Lord and give account for every idle word that's spoken. Every one where the Lord will say to us, David, that wasn't my heart. I didn't share that with you. Why did you share that? Well, Lord, because I was angry. Because I wasn't shown much acceptance or love in my lifetime. And it made me feel good. It makes me feel good to think that I'm an ambassador for you of, of, of righteous wrath. We denounce 
sin, guys, we do not denounce the world. Nowhere is it safe for us to judge or condemn the world. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. And the church's job is to redeem the world of her sin through sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And for many of us, we need to repent of the arrogance which really comes from wounding and hurt. Lord sees why. He understands our heart. He's no more angry with us than he is with the lost. He's angry. His hatred is towards sin. While we were yet sinners, he died for us, the scripture says. While we were yet sinners. So that was a rather long introduction. I wasn't planning on getting into all that. Um, but it goes, it ties in hand in hand with our birthright. The church needs to be uh, to start beginning to embrace what is our birthright. Definition of birthright, Webster's 7 says, a particular right of possession or privilege one has from birth. Some things that are a part of our birthright. When we were birthed or born again, right, we were birthed, we were born into the body of Christ. Here are some of the things. This is, this is just appetizing. This is nowhere even close to being exhaustive, guys. Okay, number one, we are loved of God. Uh, Romans 5.8, John 3.16, Hebrews 5.12, 1 John 3.1. I encourage each one of you, if there's any one of these that draws upon you, look up these verses. We're brought near to our heavenly dad, and we are children of God. We are his redeemed. Ephesians 2.13 Ephesians 1.7, Romans 8.16. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Romans 8.17, James 2.5. We are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We are blameless, complete, and without fault in his eyes. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Colossians 1.21 and 22. The Holy Spirit lives in us and we are filled with the life of God. 1 Corinthians 6.19, 1 John 5.12, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Romans 8.14, Galatians 3.14, Ephesians 1.13, 2 Corinthians 1.22. Next, all wisdom, power, understanding, joy, love, and peace is inside of us now. Galatians 5.22, Hebrews 4.9, John 16.13. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing, are seated with Christ in heavenly places, present tense, and we have access to his throne room, present tense. Ephesians 1.3, Ephesians 2.6, Hebrews 4.16. And this is one of my favorite guys. We are the peacemakers of this world. Matthew 5.9. Matthew 5.9 says, blessed are the peacemakers for they are children of God. And if we are children of God, because we're his redeemed, that means our role as his ambassadors are to bring the peace of the kingdom. I didn't say the compromise of the kingdom. God is a God of peace, uncompromising peace. Which means every time we enter into a company of people, into a room, into a gathering, everywhere we go, we bring peace. Jesus says, when I send you out, when you go into someone's house, speak peace. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. 
If there's not a man of peace there, your peace will return to you. And without getting into that too much, um, there's been many times that I, I've, and I've made a habit of it because um, it's just great practice. The more that I understand my birthright as a child of God, and one of my jobs is to bring peace, and, and, um, and peace is a manifestation of the love of God. To be able to give someone the gift of peace under that's being tormented um, is love. And there'll be times when I, I release my peace over a house or over a setting, over a group, and there's times when I can feel the kingdom abide there. And there's other times when I feel people reject that peace. Um, but we are called to be peacemakers. So let's run through that real quick because these are some birth threats. I won't go over the scriptures. I'll just, I'll just go over some of the things that are ours. We're loved of God. We're brought near to our heavenly dad. We're children of God. We are his redeemed. We are heirs of God. We are fellow heirs with Christ. We are a new creation. We are blameless, complete, and without fault in his eyes. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the life of God. We possess all wisdom, power, understanding, joy, and peace through the Holy Spirit that lives powerfully in us. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are seated in heavenly places, present tense with Christ. We have access to his throne room. And we are peacemakers of this world. So those are some things of what our birthright is. And it would be um, a challenge. And, and it is a challenge um, in a good way for us to stop and take a moment and say, how many of these things of the birthright of God that we just cited, which are not exhaustive, do I walk in? Am I walking in my birthright in at least just those couple of areas that, that were mentioned? Because that's not exhaustive at all. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Covenant. Those promises were not promised under the old covenant. So really, we want to be careful. If we want to start quoting old covenant, do we really want to put ourselves and our mindset under the yoke of the old covenant? Because the Bible says if the old covenant was perfect, there would not be the need for a better one. So I encourage you guys to just meditate on that. How many of these things am I possessing is a reality to me? Do I experience? Because remember, we are spirit beings. We commune with the Holy Spirit through our spirit man. Our soul is the gatekeeper, guys. What we choose to accept is truth. What we choose to hold on to, the woundings of our past, the areas that were hurt, the lies that we choose to accept as our own personal truth, they all filter how we see ourselves, how we read the Bible, and how we see our Heavenly Father. And we have to make a choice whether or not we're going to embrace our birthright and what the Word of God says, or we pick up the birthright of Satan of what he says about us, of what he says we are. Guys, any time that, that we hear ourselves saying, well, I'm just stupid or I'm shamed or, or um, I'm unworthy, you have picked up a demonic birthright because those are things that Satan has announced over you. He has proclaimed over you his truth about you. He has said you are unworthy. He has said you are uh, deserving of shame and rejection. That is a birthright. And we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, so 
what is our birthright and how do we lay hold of it? So how do we lay hold of it? Let's just get into the meat of it. If we accept the word of God as the universal final truth, then we have access to grab hold of our birthright. If we do not believe the Bible is the final authority, um, then, then we, we cannot grab our birthright because we have to come to a bedrock, a foundation. What do we accept is the, um, the, the universal truth. Is Jesus the living word that was made manifest through the written word and expressed on the earth to show us the image of the Father? If we believe the Bible is the word of God, we have access to grab hold of our birthright. We can only walk in intimacy with the Lord, guys, and fulfill his unique plan for each of us to the degree that we lay hold of our birthright. So how do we do this? We do it by accepting what our Father says is our birthright. Any area we are allow our thinking to oppose God's word about us, we're rejecting a piece of our birthright. 2 Corinthians 10.5, right? A lot of things will always go back to the mind because the mind is the gatekeeper that allows us either access to the realm of the spirit and the kingdom of God and our birthright or it shuts it down and it permits only access to the demonic belief system of this world which is, uh, which is under the influence and the government of same. Okay, that's a choice. 2 Corinthians 10.5 we demolish, argument, we demolish arguments and every pretension, every thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Why are we commanded to do this in 2 Corinthians 10.5? It's, really, it's not a suggestion. It's an admonishment by the Holy Spirit through Paul. Take every thought captive. It's because this is how we walk in the privileges of our inheritance. We walk in our inheritance by taking every thought and examining, is that thought that I'm believing part of my inheritance, part of my new, um, would I have access to through the blood of Jesus Christ? Would I have access to because the Holy Spirit is now living inside of me? Or is this something that Satan is saying about any subject, about any matter? We have the word of God to wash our minds and to give us access to understanding what is truth and what is a lie. So what are some signs that we have rejected our birthright? Sickness, lack, pain, whether it's physical or emotional. Emotional pain is a sign that we've rejected our birthright. Torment, fear. These are some um, signal flares that we have either knowingly or unknowingly through ignorance rejected our birthright. Each one of these areas can be traced back to an area in our belief system where we've substituted what God has declared over us for what Satan has declared over us. You see, we have two inherit we have inherited two birthrights. The first birthright comes from the moment we're born. Because we're born into sin. We're born into a demonic belief system. We are birthed into the birthright of the God of this world who rules and governs this world. The second one that we have that is from God that is given to us when we are born again. We are born into a new birthright through the blood of Jesus Christ when the Holy Spirit enters into us. The day Adam sinned, he exchanged 
his birthright, his godly birthright, for Satan's birthright of darkness and death. And some scriptures to look up for that, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Isaiah 9.2, Ephesians 5.8, and Romans 3.23. Our dad, our heavenly dad, restored all things back to himself. He gave us a new birthright. He restored to us the rights that Adam had before Adam forsook his birthright. Colossians 1.12-15 says, Always thanking the Father, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. What this is saying is we have been removed from the inheritance that we inherited being born to the God of this world, the kingdom of darkness, and he has transferred us. He's moved us into the kingdom of his dear son, which gives us a new birthright. I'm going to give you an example of this in action. It's uh, in action, Luke 4.18. Remember, we've spoken about in the past about how scriptures tell us things. There are scriptures that tell us things, and there are scriptures then that show us kingdom principles in action. So at times the word of God will show it, will tell us things, and there's times when the principle of God's nature and the principle of his kingdom is demonstrated through something that's recorded in the scripture. Okay, so let's go to Luke 4.18. So we'll start with verse 16. Speaking of Jesus now, he comes to his hometown in Nazareth. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up and read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty of the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So here's what I want us to first look at. Here's the background, okay? The background is the Jews had had rejected the covenant with God. They've been taken captive as a result. They're under martial law of the Romans. The last prophetic word that was given to them, that one day they would be redeemed and rescued from the power of sin and darkness and the dominion of oppression, was over 400 years ago. There were people living in darkness. There was no insight into the heart or mind or will of the Lord except 400-year-old promises. And that was the most recent. Isaiah's prophecies were much older. All they were left with and all they had turned to instead of the spirit of reconciliation was dead self-righteous religion. It was over 400 years since the last prophetic word prophecy, guys, is the, is the heart and mind of God revealed. It's the heart of the Father revealed. And here's something I just want to have a, a note on. <clears throat> when there is no insight into the heart and mind of our Heavenly Dad, all that's left is religion. 
that religion will take on many different forms. That's why he lives inside of us now. When the body of Christ rejects the heart of our dad that's being shared, we're left with anger, fear, confusion, and no sense of direction. And these are some of the signs of what the body of Christ is dealing with right now. Because we've lost sight of what the heart of our father is. We've lost sight of the Great Commission. And we've turned to self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, guys, is religion. It's attempting to find love and value in our actions, thinking that our Heavenly Dad, who we don't really look at as our Heavenly Dad, we look at as Yahweh. We look at him through the lens of a God who is not yet revealed because the Bible is progressive revelation. We look at him through the old covenant expression of his name, Yahweh. He is not only Yahweh to us. He is not only, now he is God of everything, God Almighty, pure and holy. But he's not only Yahweh. He's our heavenly dad. The Jews did not have a heavenly dad. That, was, that aspect of his nature was not yet revealed. The Bible is progressive revelation, and we did not have the right to be called sons until Jesus fulfilled being tortured and crucified on that wood. That's why the Jews sought to stone him, because he kept referring to Yahweh, Achia, as his heavenly dad. And the Jews had no love in their heart to receive that. It was self-righteousness. It was religion. And the body of Christ needs to recognize in what areas, myself included, in what areas, Lord, have I exchanged your heart for something that makes me feel good about myself? Because judgment and condemnation feels good. It gives us a sense of identity. It gives us a sense of value. It's removed from the heart of God. Our job is to rescue. It is his job with tears to have to judge those that will reject the gift of reconciliation he is offering. He didn't offer reconciliation, guys, hoping that some children would reject it. I mean, give me a break. Okay. I say that in love, guys. <clears throat> so that's the background of what's going on. So Jesus is sitting up at the synagogue. Whenever he went into a town, he went to the synagogue and he read. He followed the, uh, the uh, Hebraic custom of the synagogue of worship. He was given a scroll. He didn't pick the verse. Every day there was a verse that was given. It just so happened, coincidence, wink, wink, that when he was given the verse to read that day, that it was Isaiah 61. I mean, what are the chances of that? <laughs> he read it, and then it said, he says, today this prophecy is fulfilled, meaning I am the Messiah. I am Messiah of the prophecy. It says all eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. Now look at verse 22, guys, and this is the crux of it. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. It bore witness. The, the Greek word used here, bore witness, in the Greek means to testify, to give a good report. The Greek word that's translated English here, marveled, means to be amazed and admired. 
So let's put that together. Let's see what's going on. <clears throat> Jesus speaks the words, right? The scriptures say he only does what he sees his father doing. He's seeing his father in heaven proclaiming the reconciliation of the world is at hand, proclaiming the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, proclaiming, I am the redeemer. Here I am. You have Jesus moving by the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. You have the atmosphere of heaven changed by the words of truth Jesus is speaking forth. His words are life, he said. His words are truth and peace. The entire synagogue has their eyes fixed upon him, and it says they marveled and bore witness. They gave testimony. They gave a good report. They bore witness to what he was saying. They were amazed and admired what he said. They received the word. The whole atmosphere of what Jesus brought was life. Jesus came to bring life. Every time he spoke, he brought life. We as children of God are called to bring life. We're life givers. And yet, in the very next word, it says, and they said, isn't this Joseph's son? And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And he goes on to explain the cross-reference here of Jesus being rejected here is also found in Matthew 13 and Mark 6. Three of the four Gospels give this account. Anytime something is repeated in the Scriptures, guys, it's worth cross-referencing because it's important. You see it written more than twice, really pay attention to it. This is written in three of the four Gospels. And if you cross-reference them, you'll see it says, they went from bearing witness, from testifying, being amazed and admiring, to beginning to say, wait a minute, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. We know who this guy is. Isn't that, isn't that the carpenter's son? Can we see him? Let me paraphrase him now. Can we see him growing up here playing with wood? We know his dad. Isn't that Mary who, who like, committed adultery before they were even married? Well, this guy's nothing special. He grew up in our town with us. He's just a regular kid. He played with our kids. It goes on to say, and they were offended with him. In other words, they said yes and amen. They were living witnesses that Jesus declared. What he was declaring was divine truth. They were amazed. Their spirit bore witness. Jesus brought the divine nature, the atmosphere of heaven with him. And we have an expression that we use in our fellowship that I'm part of, bring the kingdom. Remember someone says, I got to go, I got to go pray for somebody, or I got to go here, keep me in prayer. We encourage one another. We say, hey, bring, bring the kingdom. Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to be life givers. We're called to bring peace and to bring the power of God everywhere we go. And Jesus brought the kingdom into that synagogue. And everyone bore witness and marveled. And in a flash, the very atmosphere was filled with the glory of God. All the eyes were fixed on him. The stage was set to receive the gospel. And then their carnal mind, their soul, made a decision not to submit to the spirit of God. Their soul decided to contend with the atmosphere of heaven. And their thinking refused to submit to the things of God. They went from being amazed, bearing witness, 
testifying that what Jesus was saying was true to being offended with him in the next snap of the fingers. The revelation of heaven, the atmosphere of God's kingdom, they rejected that realm. They rejected the truth. They rejected the things of the spirit and decided to walk by their own soul, their own darkened thinking, instead of accepting the invitation that was in the midst of them. See, they had the opportunity to have their thinking be conformed, to be transformed through the invitation of what they were experiencing. And there were, there, there were many who did. There were many where Jesus came, and he, when he spoke, they convicted. The scriptures say at the same time, many of the Pharisees believed in him. Yet for fear of the Jews, they would not publicly announce him because they loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. They were afraid of being put out of synagogue. And here in his hometown, his own family and friends had the opportunity to grab a hold of the atmosphere of heaven and allow their thinking to be conformed to receive greater revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ in their midst. Instead, they rejected the invitation. In the midst of experiencing it, here's the key, guys. We could be in the middle of a spiritual encounter and in the midst of it, reject the encounter, reject the revelation that is attempting to be transferred from heaven through the Holy Spirit in us into our spirit man to bring us into the next realm of his glory. Encounters in the realm of the spirit, first of all, back up. Guys, we are meant to walk in realms of the spirit. We are not meant to walk by our soul. We are not meant to walk trying to figure out what's going on in this world by our mind. Our mind is meant to get the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ as we spend time with our spirit man communing with the Holy Spirit. And then that information translating to our soul and our soul submitting to the revelation we're getting. And the body of Christ has been trained to do just the opposite. We're trained to live by our soul and pass every spiritual experience through our own current understanding. And when that happens, guys, we can never, be, we can never move from glory to glory, from faith to faith. We can never move into the next realm that he wants to move us in. We just stagnate. So as born-again believers, we do the same thing anytime we walk through a situation and we know what God's word says about us, bring it back to our birthright, when we reject that truth and decide that our soul is going to decide and think something else, we're sowing to death. We're picking up the birthright that we died to. We're picking up a satanic, a demonic birthright. Two scriptures I want to share with you. Romans 6, 3. Well, don't you know that all of us were baptized into Jesus Christ and were baptized into his death. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Putting these verses together, guys, in context, it's talking about dying to the demonic birthright we inherited from Adam's fall and being born into a new birthright. We died. We were, we were baptized into the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what did we die 
the Bible talks about we're born again. So if we're born, then why is the scripture saying in Romans 6 that we died? We died to the old man. We died to the demonic thinking. We died to the God of this world that told us his system of government, his sense of worth and love and value, which is based upon what we do and earn and what others think of us. We died to that. That demonic birthright is gone. The world says you're the sum of your accomplishments and what other people think of you. That's the demonic mindset. When we were crucified with Christ and now Christ lives in us, the life we live now is God's birthright. It's what he says about you. We're the righteousness of Christ. We're redeemed. We're holy. We're sanctified. We're accepted in the beloved. Jesus 1.6. We were washed through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.10. So it's always a choice. Uh, Galatians 6.8 says, Whoever sows to the flesh to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let me clarify this. The scripture verse has been taken out of context as as long as I've heard it quoted. Um, This Galatians 6 is being spoken to to born-again believers. Remember, the Bible is written to born-again believers. It's a divine romance. It's a divine book. It's understanding the heart of God, his redemption of, of, of Adam and Eve's descendants from the garden and restoring all things back to himself. He's talking to born-again believers. So whoever sows to please the flesh, remember the word flesh does not mean just the body. The word means carnality or of the physical realm. Whenever we sow to the physical realm, it's not talking about simply drugs and alcohol and, and um, whether we have high cholesterol or whether or not we're smoking or drinking. Those are included into it, but that's not the reason why. It's because some things that we do that we decide to do, the scriptures say all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. There are certain acts of the physical body that we may partake in that draw us further from the heart and mind of the Father. They're not given to us for a set of arbitrary rules that he gave us. Whenever I have a, a men's study, the first thing usually I ask, whenever I give them the men's group, they'll ask them, why is pornography wrong? And it's very rare that I can have any man answer that for me. Because we've been taught the rules. We haven't been taught the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit. We haven't been taught the, the Godhead who redeemed us, who calls us father and counselor and friend. We're typically not taught to get to know that person. We're taught to understand rules. And so if I went into the group and when I have, and I said, is pornography wrong? Every hand will go up, oh, yes, absolutely wrong. Okay, guys, tell me why it's wrong. And I get blank stares. Or the answers that I get are just crazy answers. Uh, and I can ask similar situations that my wife can ask and has asked similar situations in a, in a woman's study or in a mixed group. It's understanding that certain things don't help develop our spiritual senses and don't come into alignment with the nature of God. And if we're doing things or partaking of things that are in a violation with his nature, we block communion in that area. And because he loves us so much, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And also anything that's of sin, anything that's against his nature is an, a grievance that's an affront to his nature. That's the reason why we do or don't do things, is because we're desiring to walk in intimacy with him, and we don't want to grieve his nature. 
So when Paul is talking about 6 8, whoever sows to the flesh, so the flesh will reap destruction, meaning if you're, if you're sowing to carnality, if you're sowing to anything that's against the spirit of God, anything that's against his nature is what they call the carnal. It's carnal. It's not just talking about context. It's not just talking about the physical realm or the flesh, the physical body, the skin. It's talking about anything that opposes the kingdom of God. So Paul is saying, and whatever you sow to, if you're sowing to things that oppose the kingdom of God, you're going to reap death in that area of your life. If you sow to the spirit or the realm of the spirit, you'll reap eternal life. A more accurate way of saying that is you will reap the kingdom of God in you. Whatever areas, God, we have sown to God's kingdom, we reap his life in that area. That's why we can look at either ourselves, remember one, or we can look at other people where they have a, um, a very deep and healthy and thriving uh, walk that emanates life in a certain aspect of their walk. And then other areas, all of a sudden it's like Jekyll and Hyde where they're just they're walking in no light, no love. I mean, you, you'll see a button will get pushed in someone, and all of a sudden they transform to someone that was just moments ago just the, the, the perfect image and the imperfect image of the nature of Christ. It's because we have different areas that we choose to say yes or no to God. But when we say yes, we open our, up our hearts to receiving all of what he has for us. We begin accepting our birthright. This is why when Paul was touched by the Father's heart toward his children in Ephesians, he wrote in chapter 1, verse 18 of Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance to his holy people. If you want to do more of a study on birthright, look up inheritance. The things that we have, there's inheritance, the things to come, those are future inheritances. And there are things we had inherited when we became children of God. Things that we have already inherited are our birthright. So to sum up, what is our birthright? It's a particular right, possession, or privilege that one has been given from birth. In the new birth, we have been given certain identities, certain promises, certain things that now we possess inside of us. How do we lay hold of that? The way we lay hold of it, guys, is we get to know what our birthright is, which means getting into the word, meditating on what the new covenant says. What does the covenant say about the person who has received Christ as Savior and has received the Holy Spirit inside them depositing our inheritance? That's the church. The church has been given a birthright. We have the riches of heaven. We're blameless. We're holy without fault. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are not under the old covenant birthright. We have a unique birthright that's part of the new covenant. We need to begin rightly dividing the word of God. We need to begin to understand what our birthright is. If, if more of our time, guys, is spent trying to figure out what's going to happen in this world or in this country. If we're, if we're clicking on YouTube videos, it all has to have to do with the, the, the judgment and the death and the woes and the things going on in the world and Russia and China and stockpiling of arms. Where is our heart? The scriptures say where your heart is, there are your treasures. Are our treasures in fear? 
Are the riches of our inheritance in judgment to come? Is our heart is our heart so bent on sin and judgment, on death and destruction? Put it another way, what is God doing in you right now? What is he desiring to do in you? And I'll tell you right now, he's not desiring for you to stockpile more cans of tuna. He's not interested in you building another sub-basement in your house, interested in your heart. He's interested in you getting to know him. He's interested in you receiving your birthright, walking in the freedom of his redeemed beloved child. You want to know something that pains him? Guys, sin grieves him because sin destroys his creation. Sin destroys fellowship. That grieves his heart. Any area, guys, where we don't accept who we are, we reject our birthright, is sin. It's sin. It grieves your heavenly dad. Jesus paid too high of a penalty for us not to receive our birthright and to begin to enjoy intimacy and fellowship with him. Now, again, everything can have a ditch. And just so some of you are hearing and saying, well, David, we shouldn't prepare. I didn't say that. I did not say that. I didn't say to be foolish. I didn't say not to prepare. I didn't say to have warm clothes and make sure you have some extra food set aside in the case of uh, emergencies. Time, if our energy is spent going from one form of judgment and anger and punishment and fearful word of condemnation and what's happening next in the world, you don't have the joy of the Lord in your heart. You have it in your spirit, man. You have not allowed it to penetrate. You not have allowed it to pass through the gateway into your soul, your heart, your labab your mind, your will, your emotions. We are called to get the glory of God to pass from our spirit, man, and flood our soul. And for many of us in this hour, we do not have the love of God flowing from our spirit, man, from the Holy Spirit, through our spirit, man, into our soul. We're walking in darkness as if we still possess a demonic birthright. Time to put those things behind us, guys. The time is short. Your neighbors are going to hell. Your relatives are going to hell. And if you don't care, or if you think they deserve it, please remember this. You deserved it. None of us deserve the gift of salvation. It's his love that redeemed us while we were still sinners. And if we don't have a lot of God's love shed abroad inside of our soul, that grieves him. Doesn't make him angry at you. He's not angry at his children. He he desires and dies for intimacy. Revelation 2, Jesus said, speaking to born-again Christians, speaking to the church, the body of Christ, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If he's already inside of us, if the spirit of the living God is inside of us, what is he knocking on? He's knocking on the door of our souls, guys. He wants intimacy in every part of our being. 
It works from the inside out. We are transformed on the inside. Uh, The more that I have spent time with him, in his presence, speaking to him, letting him teach me about what the Word of God is saying, filtered through the eyes of love, the more I've been able to give his goodness to those around me. You can't fake it, guys, and it's okay. There's times when I've, I've gone to the Lord, and, and, and in my walk I've said, Lord, I, give me more love for these people, or give me love for that person. I don't have it. And his answer is always the same. David, my word says that the love of God has been shed abroad inside your heart. So if you're not moving in it, it's because you have rejected what's inside of you already. You've rejected what's in you. So we just have to begin to turn to him, begin to accept what his word says about us, all of his word. There's so much confusion going on in the different camps. And one of the things that, that I am blessed with, I guess it's a blessing. Yes, it is. It's a blessing. It's from God. Amen. Say, I'm with it myself, contending with his plans. I am blessed to be in many different circles, many different um, interactions in the body of Christ that are, that are disconnected from one another. Always been that way. Um, and so I get to see many different areas of the body of Christ, I mean the universal body of Christ, and the different things that we're tuned into and not tuned into. And one of the common themes that, that I see is just a complete... Um, near complete lack of understanding of what's going on in this season because we're really not seeking his heart. We're seeking to discuss things that make us feel good about ourselves. For some camps, it's unworthiness. We discuss how unworthy we are. For some camps, it's we never came out of the wilderness. We, we confess that we're a sinner, pick up that we become his righteousness. And, um, there are people I try to reach. I try to go out into the desert and I try to be one in the desert to win some, to get them to the goodness of God. To others, they don't see a God who's holy. They just see a God who's a vending machine and just wants whatever they want to ask for God. It's like a slot machine. And to them, I try to teach them about the holiness of God. And how holiness isn't a swear word. It brings us into great intimacy and authority. To other people, he's a wrathful God. And all he's looking to do is just chopping at the bit to send people to hell. And whatever camp we're in, and there's there's many of them, but those are just a couple. We have to turn to him and what the cross gave us. If we don't understand the birthright that was given to us, if we don't understand not just the inheritance of things to come, but what we've been inherited the second the Holy Spirit came to live inside of us, we can't understand the mind of God. I've been blessed to to come across many people, all different callings in the body of Christ. Every one of us is a gift. There's no spectators. You guys have heard me say that before. There are no spectators. There is no biblical definition of clergy and laity. We are all members of the body of Christ. We all have gifts. But here's the key, guys. If we do not learn to seek and to accept who we are as sons of God, as daughters of the living God, righteous and redeemed and holy, if we don't begin to embrace what it means to be the righteousness of Christ, Hebrews 4.12 says that those that are unskilled in righteousness 
are, are babes or infants. It doesn't matter how many years we've been a, a Christian. That doesn't mean anything. If we don't ever pick up the doctrine, the understanding of what it means to be the righteous of Christ, we're spiritually immature. And if we're spiritually immature, we can never move on to the fuller things of walking in the realm of the Spirit. We're limited at most to moving by our giftings. But we're not meant to live and move by our giftings. We're meant to live and move in union with him. And as we seek him, the giftings in each other are meant to sharpen each other and meant to be raised and elevated into us so that we can become, into Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, the full stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage you guys, and, and um, Dorothy, I'll ask if anyone has any questions or anyone is raising their hand and they have any answer, but just to encourage you, all of you, the body of Christ, begin to dig into what does it mean to be the righteousness of Christ? What is our birthright? When we're quoting scriptures and we're looking at things, what is going on inside of our belief system? What is really rumbling around inside of us? That takes some work if we're not familiar with that. It takes a heck of a lot of courage, too. It takes a lot of courage to look at the things that make us tick. It's not for the faint of heart, which is why the body of Christ um, so far isn't moving in his nature, isn't in harmony and unity, because it, it takes a lot of courage to love us, that he loves us unconditionally, no matter what we do or don't do. And then from that love, it is the goodness of God that brings man to repentance. So anyway, that's this week is laying hold of your birthright. It's a challenging word. Kind of my thing. What I do is meant to in love challenge the body of Christ that all of you may walk in so many more things than I have ever even dreamed of walking in myself. So, uh, Dorothy, uh, any questions in the queue, in the box? No questions so far. If you have a question, press one that raises your hand so I can see it. Um, that was a very good lesson, very good lesson. Thanks, Dorothy. Uh, I, I hope it, it bears witness with um, with our listeners. And, um, and I love being challenged. I love when the Lord speaks to me. Um, he speaks to me a lot. Um, at night, he speaks to me a lot in the, the late watches and when I'm sleeping. Um, a lot of times, a spirit man guy never sleeps. You ever wonder why some of us dream? Um, I believe we're all called to hear the voice of God in our sleep because our spirit is always, is, is, is never sleeping. And sometimes, it's not always the reason why he does it, but sometimes if we're so busy or if our soul is on the throne, if our understanding is acting as such a strong gatekeeper. It's not yielding to the things of the spirit. We're not really dialed into the realm of the spirit when we're awake. And a lot of times he'll speak to us at night. Um, as I have grown and matured, I've learned to dial into the, the realm of the spirit. He, uh, he, he, he is allowed, I've given him permission to speak to me during the day. Um, but from a very young age, from the time I was saved at about seven, um, he's always spoken to me in my dreams and he continues to do so. And, um, a lot of times he will challenge me in my sleep. He will show me a place or take me somewhere or have me pray for someone or something or a nation or a section of the body of Christ. And, and many times while he's doing that, he also is challenging me. It's an invitation. Every interaction with God, guys, is an invitation to know an aspect of him even more deeply. 
And um, so I'll wake up, you know, in the morning a challenge on something and give him permission to begin doing more of a work in my heart. And um, it breathes life. We don't have to be afraid to be challenged. It's life. It's good. So anyway, um, Dorothy, thank you as always, my co-pilot and comrade. Um, we'll sign off. We'll, we'll say goodnight. And I think, Dorothy, we have uh, our new extra music that we have now that um, we can play. And um, I will catch up with you guys in a couple of weeks. And, Dorothy, I will speak to you real soon. Okay. Good night, David. Good night. Father bless everyone. Good night, Dorothy. This has been Zeal Fear House. I'm David Murray, and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. We were hoping that you were blessed by this week's broadcast. Again, if this was your first time, please stop by my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's dwmurry.com for additional teachings and insights. God bless you, and until next time, please dare to accept the fact that your heavenly dad loves you deeply. Thank you.